Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in cars going to festivals. So when we were prepping to drive out for Harvest Nights, because we knew we would have so much time in the car together, we asked people to send us topics um, that they wanted to know about. And one of the ones that um, has come up kind of on and off over the time we've been doing this podcast and someone actually articulated it into a question was um, kind of that relationship between UPG, which is unverified personal gnosis, and the lore, and how the kind of interplay between them feeds into what we do. Yeah, and as pagans, we don't have a single textual source for a lot of the work that we do. Also, when we do have a single textual source for a lot of the work that we do, sometimes it comes to us filtered through different religions' eyes. Right, because like the Celtic stuff, a lot of that's written, and the Norse too, I guess, is written through a lot of like Christian monks were writing down prior practices. Yeah, and it's different in Ireland than it is in Iceland, for example, because in Ireland it was Christian monks writing down practices and changing them or reinterpreting them or reflecting on them with different eyes and like the eyes of a different religion right 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 and in iceland though snorri was a christian he was trying to preserve the literary heritage of his people and as a result he apparently didn't change it all that much he because the value of the poetics and the value of the stories was what mattered that, to him. Exactly. Okay. That, that was the, the important part. And so I suspect that he mostly felt, why would anyone believe this? These are just <laughs> fictional stories, but he wanted to capture those fictional stories as truly as possible because, again, the conversion process is different from place to place. Right, right. And it's similar too. I mean, a lot of Greek myths that we have come from the Renaissance. Yep. Frankly. Yeah. Which is where we get Apollo is a sun god. I know. <laughs> it makes me crazy. It's okay. Yes. There's a perfectly good sun, Helios. <laughs> but because Apollo is a bright god, he gets, yeah. Lumped in with the sun. And so our lore has a lot of, I wouldn't say problems, but a lot of things yeah. to look at uh, when interpreting. It's just contextual considerations. Yeah. And so, the lore itself is, is is fraught with those kinds of issues. And they're different for every culture and every mythology that you're going to experience. But, 
UPG is kind of the other side of that coin, the unverified personal gnosis. Gnosis meaning knowledge. Right. That's a, a fancy Greek word, fancy Greek root, I suppose. <laughs> um, and the unverified personal, of course, means you yourself have experienced this, no one else has, but this is knowledge that you feel is important. It's, it's really knowledge kind of that is true for you. Yes. If nothing else. Um, and while it not might not be shared gnosis, which I think is a really cool thing when that happens, when when one person's um, personal gnosis and another one's and another one's, when they all start matching and people can agree on things, like Aphrodite likes chocolate, right? Like that, I would consider that a shared gnosis. I mean, even um, if it's not, it seems perfectly reasonable to me. <laughs> she may have a problem with the slave trade around chocolate. Right, but the thing itself um but yeah so so like that that kind of thing is is cool to watch happen but the knowledge is clearly true to the person for whom it is true for right and so a lot of the a lot of times pagans will put these two on a spectrum so there's there's lore which is definite and immutable which as we just discussed is is not not. (laughs) and then there's unverified personal gnosis on the other side of that which is completely individual and not textually supported. But I would argue as well that it's not necessarily not textually supported so much as it is not mentioned specifically in the lore. Right, right. Because sometimes UPG starts from a place of lore and moves into something a little bit wider. So it be, lore becomes the basis of that. And when we do our our Gaulish work in the Grove, because we don't have a lot of textual We have a lot of iconography, or I guess we have occasional iconography that has... (laughs) We have confusing iconography. We have confusing iconography that kind of lore has been built around, but that's definitely not a, like, written-out myth structure, you know? And so what we've done as, as a Grove, and what I have done as an individual, is we've taken the extant textual work, whether that is iconography on stones and pillars and things like that, or whether it's magical work that we happen to have written down. We do have Gaulish prayers and incantations written down. They do exist. And develop that into something that works for us. And sometimes we use that process of the creation of additional background information as the texts are copied. Right. Um, a good example is Lucan's Fasalia, the, the Civil War, where Lucan mentions the, the three primary gods of Gaul, Asus, Tutates, and um, Tyrannus. And those are all glossed in a later scalia, which is housed in Bern, Switzerland, which is why they're called the Bern Scalia. Okay. And Tutates is associated with Mars, I think, uh, Asus with Mercury, and Tyrannus with Jupiter. And so you get kind of this little miniature Interpretato Romano that may or may not be accurate. Right, but you have some... I mean, you can extrapolate how... Mars as like this agricultural um, city tender 
yes. deity could apply to Tutates. Yes. When Mars gets mixed up with Aries, because Mars and Aries are very different. They're very different. They're very different. Um, so modern pagans look at that and they say, oh, Mars must be a god of war. Right. But I don't think that's actually the I, Yeah, no, for me, I think that's definitely more of like Mars as that agricultural tender of the city. Yeah. Um, civic Mars. And what you're hearing right now is <laughs> a shared version of UPG because we have no idea. We right. really don't know. All we have are, are names and words on paper, and we're, we're making guesses right. about what these things are, using our, our best knowledge of... Comparative religion, comparative really. Comparative religion, yeah. And so, when we look at Tutates, and we say connection with Mars, and we say not Aries, we're making that leap ourselves. Right. It's not based on lore, even though there is lore as a foundation to it that gives us the original spirit right. to try and work from. Well, and like I would I would talk about too, like my relationship with Anahita yeah. is um, she's the mother of waters in Avestan lore and there's I mean there's a, a gorgeous hymn to her. But um, like some of the things they talk about are the like the glittery um, robes that she wears and she wears beaver skin and so my like UPG surrounding that is based on that hymn but this idea of like refracting rainbows and beaver as the creator of ecosystems and so that she is like this tender of making sure that there's um, equality and that everyone has their place um, in that that grand ecosystem that we have scintillating UPG you have there. <laughs> I love it. Now, and the ritual work that you've done that's developed out of that, if you want to watch a, a video of that, we have one up on our yeah, YouTube, yeah. the Summer Solstice Rite that you did a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, and that was one that I actually wrote the whole script for, mm -hmm. um, which was kind of cool, because it really let me explore her and everything around that. Yeah, it was fabulous. <clears throat> and so... Even if there isn't a lot of lore, even if there isn't a lot of stuff to, to build on, you can take the pieces and parts right. and draw them together for something that works for you. And honestly, I tend to think that if, if it doesn't work for the spirit, the spirit will let you know. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> um, it, it's the same way when you're talking about like shared interests with people. Um, if you come up, if you if you end up with like a UPG that doesn't jive. Um, then the relationship you have with the spirit won't build. Right. But if that relationship does build out of that UPG, then I would extrapolate that the UPG is true. I would agree with that. <clears throat> the other thing that we often do with lore and things like that is, and, and I really love to see this, I like to see people go back and rewrite the stories. Yeah. Sometimes from a different point of view. That's one of my favorite things to do. Um, because it, 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 it brings out different aspects of the story. And these are all just stories people were telling anyway. The thing about myth is that it lives. Right. So Poseidon is one of my patrons, right? And so um, most people are at least vaguely familiar with the patron of Athens myth, where Athena and Poseidon are like head-to-head -head angry with each other because they both want to be the patron of the city of Athens. <clears throat> and... Um, you can tell by the name of the city that Athena obviously became that patron. And there's um, 
the, the story as it originally goes is that like she brought useful things to the city. She brought um, the the olive trees and like cultivated food and and that kind of thing. And Poseidon only brought uh, like he was a god of the sea. And so the story goes that he brought the seawater that no one could use. Um, it's cool but useless, I think is how the story goes. <laughs> right, right. And so like I've rewritten that from his perspective um, that the, because he, he's not only the god of the sea, he's the god of both freshwater and seawater. And so the way that I like rewrote it is that he brought horses, which required food. Horses are extremely useful in the ancient world. Um, and so he brought the horses, but not the food to feed them. And she brought food, which then could be turned into oil, which could feed the gods. And so that became one of the reasons that, that she was chosen as the patron of the city. He brought fresh water, um, but because he was scorned, took that fresh water away. Turned it into salt. And turned it into salt water. Because Athens to this day, like, water's a precious resource there because it's, it, it does not have as much fresh water as other places. Um, and, so, and so the way that I've reframed that story from his point of view is that he did give them fresh water, but he was not chosen. chosen. And he's sometimes a little bit of a, a vengeful god. And, and so he took that gift away. I mean, <laughs> if someone's not willing to reciprocate your gift... <laughs> Maybe they didn't want it in the first place. Right, right, right. So, but that's just like an example of one that I've rewritten, and it, yeah. I really enjoy rewriting myths like that. <laughs> I like to to see voices that haven't been part of the story become part of the story, and, or things that were ancillary to the story become part of the the center of it. Mm -hmm. Which is why I like to see uh, myths rewritten from particularly female points of view. Yeah. Um, there's a, a book called From Saga's Hall uh, It's written by an ADF member That retells Norse mythology From the point of view of the women In the, the stories, which is really nice And I think that has A lot of value too Not only because it tells the story In a different way, but because It offers representation And gives people a chance to see themselves yeah, there's a cool, um, so there's a graphic novel series called The Olympians, um, and they explore, like, there's a book about each of the Olympians, um, and the cool thing is that when you look at the ones that are for the goddesses, who are, their stories are often told from the point of view of either the male writers or the gods, and so when you come across the book for Hera, she's a lot of times um, viewed as, like, this jealous wife. And um, <laughs> and and so in, in the the graphic novel, he's rewritten a bunch of the story, and it's from her point of view, and it explains like why she did the things that she did, um, and paints her in a much more sympathetic light. And I think that even though these things are not part of what we traditionally class as ancient lore, I think that they are certainly valid extensions of that lore tradition. Yeah, when I write songs, when I do research to write songs, I pull from all of it. Yeah. I, I don't pull just from the, like, codified myths. Yeah. Um, I pull from images and, and I don't know, fan fiction. I mean, that's... <laughs> like... In many ways, that's what a lot of it is. <laughs> the, the, the process of codification and the process of setting 
these are the specific myths we're going to talk about um, and we're going to consider valid, that process on its own changes the lore. Right. The, the observed affects that which is observed. Yeah, well, and the I think... affects that which is observed. I think, too, in, you know, the myths were written and told a long time ago yeah. in the way that the gods were then. And to assume that they haven't changed at all, I think is... Silly. Is silly. I mean, we we have very short lifespans compared to the gods, and we change. A lot. Um, and so I, I think there's there's something to be said for the fact that um, our UPG grows out of those myths because it could be following a path that the gods themselves have grown. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, I really like that you you had you had a phrase you said this weekend because we talked about how UPG is a lot of times it's like poo pooed on. It is because a lot of people when they think about UPG, they they focus on that unverified piece. Right. Um, and, and they we, don't focus on the knowledge piece. Right. And we've we've talked a little bit about shared personal gnosis, which is the idea that. I have an idea about Garnus the Crane, and you have an idea about Garnus the Crane, and... They're pretty close. It so happens that he's king of the internet now. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yes. that is, that's a version of shared personalism. But what interested me is when we were talking about UPG in one of the workshops, and I don't even really remember what brought it up. Um, I think we were talking about my... Uh my what are the reasons we celebrate seasons and who do you associate with them yes possibly um and and i I suddenly had this notion that you know just because it's upg doesn't mean that it's invalid and it should never mean that it's invalid it's hard to cite but that's okay so i came up with the with the the phrase singularly attributed gnosis which implies it's cited because you know who did it it's attributed and I think that is a much better way of looking at it. It's SAG, yeah. S-A-G, instead, <laughs> instead of, of UPG. Um, I mean, if you're allowed to cite interviews in MLA format for the use of research, then certainly you can cite a, interviews from one person, right? Yeah. So I, I like the way that you've reframed that. Yes, it's, it's a useful reframe. So if you, if you feel like you've been poo-pooed for calling it UPG, or you know, or if you're uncomfortable even saying that this is my my UPG, you can just call it your singularly attributed gnosis. Well, and I think that's useful too because you could be talking about like it might not be shared right. personal gnosis yet for you, but I could be talking about the relationship that you have with ASUS. And that is singularly attributed gnosis. Um, And it may not be quite yet what I believe, but I certainly see the value and the legitimacy of it. Yeah. It it changes the conversation from one of, oh, that's just what you think, to, oh, that's what you think. Yes. Yeah. So we we may use that SAG abbreviation a little bit more. Yeah, we may start trying to shift the conversation that way, I think. Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something that you'd like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsincars at threecranes.org. If you would like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. 
Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about Druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.